again, this is Dean Hess, along with Sarah Moore, to present the September 2014 Respiratory Care Podcast. Sarah, let's get started with our Editor's Choice paper. Our Editor's Choice paper relates to the performance of commercial and non-commercial endotracheal tube securing devices. Fisher and colleagues evaluated 16 endotracheal tube holders in simulated clinical conditions. They found that non-commercial devices exert less force onto a patient's face than commercial devices do. Many of the commercial holders allow for a rapid but secure movement of the artificial airway from one side of the mouth to the other. Hernandez and Shaw suggest that surgical patient populations might benefit from receiving commercial devices in which there are greater associated shear forces on the skin but better mobility, whereas patients remaining on the ventilator might be graduated to devices and techniques associated with less shear force but also less mobility as they approach candidacy for tracheostomy. The spontaneous breathing trial is important to determine when a patient is ready for ventilator liberation. Figueroa-Cassis et al. measured the inter-observer agreement between respiratory therapists of the SBT outcome. Within a respiratory therapist-driven protocol, they found nearly 90% inter-observer agreement in the interpretation of SBT outcomes. As pointed out by Dowd, further clarity of the definitions and training might improve clinicians' agreement regarding the SBT, but it is unlikely that the art and science related to ventilator liberation will lead to a perfect agreement between clinicians. The aims of the study by Karani et al. were to analyze the practice of mouthpiece ventilation and to evaluate the performance of ventilators for this therapy. Subjects were overall satisfied with mouthpiece ventilation. Alarms were common with home ventilators, although less common in those with mouthpiece ventilation software. Mouthpieces can prove useful to provide adjunct daytime ventilation in patients with neuromuscular disease. But, as stated by Zell, during sleep, most patients require the use of a mask. The study by Talamat et al. describes the association between the rating of the severity of respiratory distress and vital signs, severity of illness, use of mechanical ventilation, and death. Interestingly, a physician's rating of respiratory distress was independently predictive of intubation within 72 hours. Vital signs explained only a small proportion of the distress variance. The other observations contributing to a physician's rating of respiratory distress require further study. Esophageal and gastric balloon catheters are used to assess respiratory muscle function, lung mechanics, and chest wall mechanics. Walter Spocker and colleagues assessed the mechanical characteristics of balloon catheters in a bench study. Reliability of pressure measurements and estimation of lung model compliance in the tested catheters are high. Filling volume is critical for precise pressure measurement and compliance estimation. At first use, adhesion of the balloon material might prevent reliable pressure measurement. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation recently deemed the use of extended interval dosing of aminoglycosides acceptable for the treatment of CF-related pulmonary exacerbations. 
Prescott conducted a survey of extended interval aminoglycoside dosing practices in adult CF programs in the United States. The results suggest that use of extended interval dosing of aminoglycosides across programs is now the most common method for dosing of aminoglycosides in adults with CF. Moon and Chun evaluated the utility of red blood cell acetylcholinesterase in mechanically ventilated subjects after organophosphate poisoning. They found that RBC acetylcholinesterase activity within 24 hours of presentation might help predict the duration of mechanical ventilation in this patient population. However, RBC acetylcholinesterase activity may not be a suitable parameter for predicting a patient's readiness for ventilator liberation. Camberoglu et al. conducted a cross-sectional prospective study to determine reference values of the 6-minute walk test in children and adolescents between 12 and 18 years of age. They found that the 6-minute walk distance does not increase in linear fashion from the age of 12 years until adulthood. Because the correlation of the 6-minute walk distance with anthropometric features is very weak, the standard curve should be used. Using a small device to detect oxygen flow and breathing frequency, Fanseller and colleagues evaluated subjects' adherence to liquid oxygen therapy as compared with adherence diaries and self-reported perception of use. They found that subjects overestimated adherence to therapy compared to an adherence diary or objective adherence monitoring. However, no significant difference was found comparing the diary and the monitoring device, so either can be helpful in clinical practice. The aim of the systematic review and meta-analysis by Nevis et al. was to review the effects of expiratory muscle training and expiratory muscle training plus inspiratory muscle training compared to control in subjects with COPD. They found that expiratory muscle training and expiratory muscle training plus inspiratory muscle training improved respiratory muscle strength and can be used as part of treatment during pulmonary rehabilitation for severe to very severe patients with COPD. Store and colleagues evaluated high-intensity versus target volume non-invasive ventilation in subjects with COPD. High-intensity NIV is an approach championed by the authors to normalize gas exchange in subjects with COPD. In this study, they found that switching subjects from well-established high-intensity NIV to target volume NIV showed no clinical benefits in chronic hypercapnic COPD. Nevertheless, target volume NIV might offer some physiological advantages for breathing pattern and might be beneficial in some individual subjects. The purpose of the study by Mello and colleagues was to evaluate the immediate effect of chest physiotherapy on hemodynamic, metabolic, inflammatory, and oxidative stress parameters in subjects with septic shock. They found that chest physiotherapy has immediate effects of improving oxygenation, reducing lactate, and oxidative damage in subjects with septic shock. 
However, it does not cause alterations in the inflammatory and hemodynamic parameters. Iwana et al. evaluated the relationship of exhaled nitric oxide and pre-bronchodilator FEV1 and the change in FEV1 after bronchodilator in children with asthma. These results suggest a need to measure the fraction of exhaled nitric oxide before as well as after spirometry. In children with asthma with bronchial obstruction, the authors also suggest assessing fraction of exhaled nitric oxide after short-acting beta agonists. Polydactin has anti-inflammatory and anti-apoptotic effects in ischemic reperfusion injury. Chen et al. investigated the protective effect of polydactin against burn-induced lung injury in rats. They found that polydactin ameliorates burn-induced lung injury via its anti-inflammatory and anti-apoptotic effects. Polydactin treatment might serve as a potential therapeutic target for treatment of critical burn injuries. experimental study by Chiang and colleagues was to investigate the mechanisms of distal organ injury induced by ventilator-induced lung injury. Ventilator-induced lung injury was induced in rats with high tidal volume ventilation. They found that high tidal volume induces ventilator-induced lung injury and is associated with inflammation and apoptosis in distal organs. Kidney tissue appeared to be more vulnerable than heart and liver tissue following the ventilator-induced lung injury. The effect of bronchoalveolar lavage on refractory mycoplasma pneumonia in children was evaluated by Chen et al. BAL appeared to be an efficacious and well-tolerated treatment in the setting of a radiologically confirmed large pulmonary lesion. Our reviews this month are a systematic review of reversed halo sign and nintetinib for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Our case reports relate to removal of endotracheal tube obstruction by a secretion clearing device, functional imaging in the treatment of patients with unilateral diaphragmatic paralysis, and necrotizing sarcoid granulomatosis. Our teaching cases are related to invasive pulmonary aspergillosis in a non-neutropenic critically ill patient and respiratory failure secondary to relapsing polychondritis. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. Thank you.